0: 2 Corinthians, we'll look at chapter 5, and our focal point will be verses 6 through 8, which we'll touch on lightly, but uh, there is a thought that we want to look at. Uh, before we read the scripture again, uh, to the, the Sister Johnson's family, we want to extend our condolences and, uh, to all of those who are here in celebration of her life, but also um, rejoicing in her knowledge or in the knowledge of her faith, that even though she is, as we'll see in the scriptures, absent from the body, she is present with the Lord. So it was, it was interesting to note in her obituary that she was a celebrated uh, veteran, and we honor, it's an honor to be able to honor her as she has served her country, and that is the epitome of two kingdoms we as the children of God are citizens of two kingdoms she has been rewarded highly for serving uh, this kingdom God's earthly kingdom but she will be rewarded even more highly as being a citizen in his heavenly kingdom so we rejoice in that but in second corinthians chapter 5 verses 6 through 8 it reads as follows so we are always of good courage We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or whether we are away, we make it our aim to please him. Let me begin by expressing uh, really the context of Christian hope, because it is, it is typical of people that almost you can say that when anyone dies, the assumption is they are in a better place. Uh, so it's what one friend has termed salvation by death. So therefore, we forget all that they were, and we assume that, no, you, you died, they, they, are, they are no longer here, and they are in a better place. But that's not always true. But I don't want to look so much just or begin by looking at the context here, not just by what gives us, and that's ultimately what we want to talk about, what is the real essence of Christian hope as it relates to death. But I want to look at a, at a broader context and look at why we have to deal with death. Uh, because some people who are unbelievers will question the existence of God because of the fact of suffering and the fact of death. And so the question is often raised, if, there, if God is so good, then why do people suffer and why do people die? So what I want to do is first look at the context of this situation because we have to understand that death is more than a biological reality. It's biological in the sense that your physical body ceases to work. It's more than a medical issue because sometimes there are physical breakdowns, medical diseases uh, or medically determined diseases that are ultimately that we say are the cause of death. But death is neither first and foremost biological nor is it first and foremost Medical First and foremost, death is theological. And so I want to look at the framework first of why death is an issue and it's an inescapable issue for anyone who breathes. So we want to begin by expressing the idea that, that death is the result of, the, or it is a consequence of a condition that we have inherited. It's a consequence of a condition that we have inherited. Uh, There are certain things, certain traits that we pass on, certain diseases in the African-American community. The problem, there's a problem with certain uh, genetic makeups where sickle cell, sickle cell anemia is passed on and it's transmitted. It's inherited by your family lineage, certain other things that are just common to all of us that are passed on because of, 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 our, of our genes. So it's, it's, it's a condition. Certain things are conditions because of inheritance. And so what we need to understand first and foremost, that death is a consequence of a condition that we have inherited. Now, I'm a Christian, so I believe in the authority and the testimony of the scriptures. So let me make the case for what we have inherited. In Psalms 51, verse 5 David, the author, says this, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother did conceive me. Paul, in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, puts it this way, for all have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. Later, he says in Romans 6, uh, verse 23, that the wages of sin is death. But perhaps the most exhaustive treatment on this in one place and an explanation of this condition and the consequence that flows from it comes again from the Apostle Paul, but this time in Ephesians. In Ephesians, beginning in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, he says, And you were dead in trespasses and sins. Now hold in mind here that Paul is talking about living people. So in a sense, because of the condition that we have inherited, We are all dead men walking. Uh, Zombie movies have become the craze in the culture uh, for a number of years and because of my bad experience at the time I grew up in looking at badly, poorly made zombie movies, I've never really been able to get into the Twilight series and so forth because all of the zombie movies I remember growing up with, they were just so horrible and so terribly made and cartoonish that it wasn't anything compelling enough about the storyline to get my attention. But I do understand the theology that that, that emanates from this whole uh, fascination with zombies. And that is that everything that looks alive is is, is not living. And everything that is dead does not cease its activity. And that's what Paul is capturing here. He says, here's your condition. You were born dead in trespasses and sins. But it doesn't mean, so when he describes death there, he's not talking about the inactivity of the body, but he's actually talking about very active bodies that are powered by something else. And so the way he describes that which powers those who are born in trespasses and sins, he says, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the the passions of our flesh and carrying out um, the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath just like the rest of mankind. So what Paul is describing is what he has described in Romans 3.23 when he says all have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. How have we sinned? By missing the mark. And Why do we miss the mark? Because we are programmed by a different power. That's what Paul is setting forth here. So therefore, seeing from this perspective, seen from this idea that we are born in a condition of sin that means we are all born under a divine curse there is no escaping of it we don't we don't become children of wrath by doing bad things but because we are children of wrath we will never do that which is pleasing to God in and of ourselves now you can argue the status or or the the fairness of it Take it up. You'll have your opportunity. You can can argue whether or not this ought to be the case. But here's the case. All men who are born in Adam are born under the curse. And that curse means you are not able nor do you desire to be and do what God has called us to do. But It's interesting that in verse 4, you see in verses 1 through 3 of Ephesians 2, Paul explains our status and our condition. And if you look at it, you say, whoa, that's bleak. That's how come I don't go to church now? I don't want to hear that. But what makes church church are the next are the two words that open verse four. But God. And that changes everything. It's interesting that the fate of humanity from creation to redemption hangs on two words in fact in, in in Ecclesiastes chapter seven in the last verse of that chapter, it says that God has created man upright, but then it explains why we're not upright because then it follows, and it says, "But man has followed out many schemes so our 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 plight into darkness. changes, we we transition from being created in the image of God and therefore pleasing to God on on the strength of two words, but man. God has given, God has said, God has granted, but man. And from there we enter into that eternal abyss where there is nothing good in us and there is nothing good about us. We're not able to do anything about it. And now our hope hangs on two words, but God. God. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, because of man, because of man and because of the divine curse, all of our diseases, all of our dysfunctions, all of our deterioration ultimately is the flow and, and, and consequence of the schemes of man who has turned away from his creator. But all of, all of our hope, all of, 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 our, of our hope of, of, of eternal life hinges on two words that come from God. But God. And what we see, God in his grace has answered our need. He has cured our condition. God in his grace has sent forth his son who has lived for the righteousness of. That God has required of all of us. Now, notice what I said. Jesus came to live for our righteousness. I did not say Jesus came to be an example, because he didn't come to be an example first and foremost. He came to not show us how to live, but he came to live for us. And then, as we are brought into that, we are shaped by what he has done, but he lived for our righteousness. Not only did he live for our righteousness, he died for our sins, which means he has fully, completely, thoroughly satisfied the debt that was against us. Now, what that means is if disease and dysfunction are because we are under a curse, when we are brought to Christ, we still experience disease and dysfunction but it's no longer because of the wrath of God, and we'll look at that when we get back to our text. Jesus has died to pay the penalty for our sins, and then we also recognize that God has sent him not only to pay the penalty for our sins, but he rose from the grave. Three days after his burial, rose from the grave, and we believe that he rose not spiritually, He rose physically. He wasn't buried spiritually. He was buried physically. It was a body they buried, and it was a body that rose. And he rose for our justification. Now, God, who sent forth his Son, has also sent forth his Spirit. And the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, awakens us to our condition. In other words, some of us don't know we're dead yet. That's what Paul describes us. We don't know we're dead yet. It's been disputed in recent years, but for years people quoted Harriet Tubman as saying that I, I, I freed thousands of slaves and could have freed thousands of more if they knew they were slaves. And, 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 so, uh, and so it is here but that, that people don't know that they're dead. One of the reasons people have no concern about these sorts of matters is because they don't know they're dead. That's the beauty. Now as I go back and I do try to catch up on some of the zombie movies because I understand the premise behind it. And they're written so much better than they were before. The, many of the ones who are dead, the zombies who know they are dead and feeding on the flesh of the living, at least they know they're dead. In our natural fallen state, people don't know that we're dead. We don't know that what's wrong with us. And so, therefore, God has sent forth his spirit who awakens us. And the first thing that we realize, I know what I grew up hearing that, you know, something struck me in the crown of my head and ran down to the soles of my feet and started out to run. No, that's, that's something, and I'm not going to deny people's experience, but it's not the Holy Spirit. Because the first impulse of those who have been awakened by the Spirit is not to run, not to clap, not to shout. The first impulse of those who have been awakened by the Spirit is to gasp in horror at what they are. Because they are now awakened to the fact that they are the enemies of a thrice holy God and they can't help themselves. That's the first impulse. It is the impulse to cry out and say, Lord, have mercy upon me. The Spirit awakens us to see the dreadfulness of our condition, and then the Holy Spirit illumines our minds so that we would see that the fullness of God's grace is located in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And then through the ministry of the Word, not just the ministry of the word in general, through the ministry of the gospel, the Holy Spirit renews our hearts or creates faith in our hearts so that we then are able to look to Christ and we are connected to him so that we, are there, we therefore consciously choose to cling to Christ for everlasting salvation. Having said that, I I want to draw three conclusions from our text because I'm going to argue that based on the confession of our sister, she was one who was dead but awakened by the Holy Spirit. And now that she is physically dead, she is alive at a different level. I want to look at three things here that we want to talk about as it relates to faith. Two things specifically as it relates to saving faith. And then we want to thirdly just look at, the, at, at, at how we can describe our sister at this point. First off, um, saving faith is transcendent. Transcendent. The word transcend simply means to, to go beyond. Beyond. So transcendent means above or beyond. And so, therefore, faith, saving faith, is transcendent in that it connects us to a reality that is beyond our physical grasp and beyond our immediate experiences. Okay, faith is transcendent because it reaches and it connects us to a reality. That is greater than our physical reality or our physical grasp and our immediate experiences. Which is why Paul can say in verse 6 that we can be encouraged while we are at home in the body. We can be encouraged. Now hold in mind that while we are dead in trespasses and sins, you are at home in the body, but your body is really working against you. But in now, in saving faith, we are at home in the body, because the body doing what it does, which is dysfunctional and it deteriorates, being in having faith doesn 't mean the body doesn't deteriorate that 's one of the things that Paul is clear about as a matter of fact, he closes chapter four by saying that we are to look at the things that not at the things that are but at the things that are not, because he says this: our outward man is perishing but here's what faith does it even though our physical experience is deterioration faith connects us to a greater reality so that we are encouraged because we are at home in the body now let's think about all of the ups and downs of our experiences in these bodies Let's think about our sins and our failures that we experience in these bodies, and I'm not just talking about before we come to Christ. I'm talking about since we have been believers. Doctors' visits don't stop because you become a Christian, and weight gain doesn't stop because you become a Christian, and heart failure doesn't stop because you are a Christian, and Cancer cells don't all of a sudden stay away from you because you are a Christian. But what Paul says is that while all of these things may be true, causing my outward body to deteriorate, I can be encouraged while I'm at home in this body. Now, brothers and sisters, we only talked about those physical things. We only talked about the deterioration of the body. But here's another dirty little secret that Christians don't always speak of. We also have pig pen experiences. Not not again before I'm not talking about before we became Christians. That's just what we were. But now in Christ. We also have pig pen experiences. We walk away from the grace of the Father at various points in various situations and find ourselves at home in places where we ought not be. But faith informs us that we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness and have been translated into the kingdom of his dear son. Transcendent faith Says that I I'm, I'm laying in the pool in, in this pig pen, but I am seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Faith is transcendent because it it connects us to a reality that is beyond our immediate physical grasp and our immediate experiences. Faith says we are what God says we are in Christ Jesus, in spite of what we think what we act or how we act, and what we sound like. But here's the other thing. Faith is not only transcendent. Faith is transformative. Faith is transcendent in that it, it connects us to a reality that is greater than our immediate experience. So that's why we don't get, we don't get sidetracked on our Immediate and physical experiences, but faith is also transformative. Now, here's how it's transformative it's not transformative in that all of a sudden you don't, you, you don't have any evil thoughts, that you become a morally new person. No, faith is, is transformative in this regard that our outward body is perishing. But everyone who has faith in Christ Jesus has the guarantee that you have another body that is not made by hands. That's the way Paul describes it here, that that faith is transformative. We are at home in this body, and therefore we are encouraged, even though we experience difficulties and and, and trials and failures, but our, our faith transcends in that it connects us to a greater reality. Now Paul speaks not only of the reality that it's connecting to, but Paul says there will come a time when this body will be dissolved. Look at the way he opens chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. He says, for we know that if this tent, and you could just replace if with when. If this tent is our earthly home is destroyed, then we have a building from God. We're not Contributing to it, and I love this, we, and it's good, I, I was dexterously challenged throughout all of my adult or childhood and adulthood. I couldn't draw a straight line with a ruler. And so the last thing that I should be trusted to do is to craft a body that is suitable for heaven. Thank God he is not depending on me to send up anything. Because the only thing I could send out or send up, I uh, one friend put it this way. He says, "You know, uh, you don't want to know what's on my." Somebody asked him, "Well, what's on your heart?" He says, "Sin and cholesterol." <laughs> so, what is it that I have to contribute to my body? What do I have to contribute to my building? I don't lay the, ground, the, the, the headstone, the cornerstone. I'm not sending up timber. I don't even have a window to contribute. I don't, have, I don't have anything to contribute. Here is the good news of the gospel. The God who has cursed this body and then gave me transcendent hope while I'm in this body has also prepared another body. And you know what? I'd rather, if, if you ask me who do you want to architect, uh, to be the architect of your body, well, let's see. I, no, it ain't. It's not Frank Lloyd Wright. He was good. And it's, it's not any of the, it's not the, the guy who designed the Guggenheim. No, it's not that. I want the one who created the heavens and the earth, and they still exist. I want the architect of the universe, and if he's available, let him do it. And so the good news of the gospel, the transformative aspect of the gospel, is that everyone who has transcendent hope has a transformed body. It's, you don't have it yet. Now, some folk don't get this. Some, some people in, the, in Christian circles don't get this. They think that we already have that body, and that's why they think they can cast out every disease. The one who is happy at you casting out demons of disease is the demons themselves. No, God doesn't give us, no, we don't, we're not going to cast out every disease. What he says, listen, I'm going to do you one better. I'm just going to give you another one. That's what he does. I'm not going to, I'm not going to let this one go where it came from. Let it go back to the earth. I'm going to give you another one. So faith by its very definition is transcendent because it connects us to a greater reality. But faith is transformative in that it guarantees us that we have another building, we have another form that has not been created by man but it is eternal in the heavens and it's waiting for us. Now here's the third point I want to make and this is where we see with Sister Johnson because some people think well she's Walking streets of gold. No, here's where she are. Faith that is transcendent means we can be encouraged while we are at home in these bodies. Faith that is transformative says we have another building not made by hand. But in the interim, now what Paul speaks of is standing before the judge on the day of judgment. Now that means a final day. Now, the the cemetery next door is full of bodies that are waiting. And so there is a third level, third aspect of faith, and that's where our dear sister is. She's in transition. She's, she's not, it's not like she's, don't, don't make the analogy between a butterfly and, you know, a, a caterpillar and a butterfly. No, it's none of that. She's in transition. She, she's not morphing. Here's what she is God has taken off the body. And right now, she's in transition. And what she is in transition, that's where Paul's words, to be absent from the body which is a transitory state because our eternal state is not to be without bodies. Our eternal state is to, be, is to exist in new bodies. But on the way, here's what he allows us to do. We are absent from our bodies, but our souls are present with the Lord. Sister Johnson is in transition and she's in transition in this way she's not in the body while she was she was encouraged she's no longer in the body and she hasn't yet been given her new body because no one gets to do it before anyone else it's not it's not like it was you know my sisters i had a sister who was older than me growing up and every year she seemed to find out where the christmas presents were hidden And after a week or so, after she played with them, then she'd show me where mines were. But she got to see hers before I saw mine. Brothers and sisters, nobody, nobody is going to get their renewed body before anyone else. But here's what will happen. Here's where she is, where she has an advantage over us. You see, right now, we worship him in spirit and in truth. And right now, we look to him by faith and his promises. And right now, we need that because our bodies are telling us one thing and his word says something else. But right now, she's no longer in doubt. Right now, the, soul, the eyes of her soul, Is if we could put it in those terms, is is now in the presence of the one who redeemed and saved her. Right now, she is not looking through a veil darkly. Right now, her soul is in the presence of its redeemer. And I don't know how good that is, but it's, it's, we, here's what we know. It's better than even embracing him by faith in these bodies. And we also know it's not quite the same as what it will be when we are worshiping him in bodies that do not fade. But what we are certain of is that for the soul to be in the presence of its creator, And Redeemer is a joy and a delight to the soul. Sister Hattie Johnson has discarded her body, but her soul is in the presence of its creator and its Redeemer. All of the analogies that we talk about, it's always howdy, howdy, never goodbye, that doesn't apply yet. What does apply? is the joy and the delight of a soul that has been redeemed and it's in the presence of its redeemer. She's all right. She's not, and trust me, and and I I know I I have memories of loved ones who are gone, but I know they're not looking at me. So don't, you know, don't, don't. It's a sober moment now. But in days to go by, don't say, well, mama's looking over my shoulder. No, she's not. Her soul is in the presence of her creator and her redeemer. And no matter how much she loved you, and she loved you, no matter how much she loved you, she's in a better place and she's got a better sight. Now here's a message for us. Here's what we know. We know we're going to die. We know that we're gonna, our bodies are going to deteriorate. And and we know, and so so here's what what my, my question for you is is we it's not if, it's when you go. Because here's the other thing: every soul will be in the presence of its creator, but some will face the creator as judge, and some will face him as redeemer and father. You're going to die. And your soul will be in the presence of your creator. My question to you is what will you see? Will you see judge or will you see father and redeemer? Her joy is that she is in the presence of the one who has loved her eternally. And she just can't wait for the body with which she will be able to now combine the joy of her soul And to live out the rest of her days throughout all of eternity, giving praise and honor and glory to him. You'll die and you'll be in the presence. To be absent from the body, that's true of everybody. To be absent from the body is to be present in the Lord. But it's not good news for everyone. I pray that it is for you. Let's pray. Gracious God, our Father, we come to you again thanking you for the gift of life and all that comes with it, but we especially thank you for the newness of life that you have given us in Christ Jesus. We thank you for this sister who has labored in our midst, has honored both the heavenly and the earthly kingdom. and You have received her soul into your presence for her great refreshment and delight. Pray that those of us who remain would be able to likewise be encouraged while we are at home in this body as we look by faith to your gift of salvation in the person of Jesus Christ. We pray your blessings and encouragement upon this family, and we ask all of these things in Christ's name, amen.